to the broadest audience in the country. Welcome to Bob and Yurt Live. I'm the pastor of Denver Bible Church. Catherine Adams Limbaugh announced this morning on her husband's own radio program, Rush's Passing. On today's program, of course, we'll discuss, well, sadly, the left's jubilation, their unrestrained glee at his death. And also the right's love for Rush Limbaugh. Typically, when we think about someone passing away, we think of how that person either affected us or affected others. Rush Limbaugh was the proximate cause of this program, Bob and Yurt Live, which began airing 30 years ago. And this was as a direct result of Rush Limbaugh's radio program. We'll talk about how that happened. Also, we have to discuss the 1993 Dan's Bake Sale. I don't even know if my producer knows about. He doesn't even know about that. What year were you born in? 2001. Boy, the history books got to catch up with Rush. 1993 Dan's Bake Sale in Fort Collins, Colorado, an hour and a half north of Denver. Rush was broadcasting here on can us am 710 knus and he mentioned our role in his bake sale he was having up in northern colorado even though we were on a competing radio station and he made sure to point that out that was at the very start of the phenomenon which became dan's bake sale in fact while i was on the air i called dan's wife on the radio the very day this whole thing launched and on the air we were the first to tell her about her husband's bake sale she had no idea what we're talking about so that was even before dan told his own wife what was about to happen and rush mentioned this on his program so i'd like to share that account with you and then what was it about six years later it had to be because 1999. I was in Penn Plaza, you know, the office complex that's part of Madison Square Garden, that complex. And I was on one of the upper floors, Rush's floor, standing right outside of his studio, waiting for his decision as to whether or not he'd talk to me about Bill Clinton having raped Juanita Broderick. He'd apparently seen me on MSNBC a few days earlier on Hardball with Chris Matthews, laying out the evidence that Bill Clinton, in fact, is a rapist and that he raped one of his own volunteers, a Democrat businesswoman, Juanita Broderick, who owned a nursing home. But the big break that came indirectly from Rush for this program was when we launched in 1991, and it it really is something. So here's Bob Inert Live on a competing radio station. And I had done work to help bring Rush Limbaugh to Denver Radio on KNUS. I was the first person 
to line up advertisers and show them how what a phenomenon Rush was in other states, other cities, other markets. And if they advertised here, it would be a boon. Well, it turns out that was totally true. So KNUS, they were struggling financially. And the general manager, who was quite a guy, what was his name? Ron Kreider. He just was slow on paying. I couldn't get paid from him. So I said, all right, Ron, let's do a trade instead. Radio guys do trades. So I said, instead of paying me, give me three months of advertising on Rush Limbaugh's program, a one-minute ad, and, and then we'll call it even. So he said, fine. It was a bonanza for us. In fact, when we burned O.J. Simpson's memorabilia after the auction in Beverly Hills on the steps of the L.A. courthouse, how that was a huge boon to our national audience, well, this, years earlier, this was the boon to our local Colorado audience, how we got established in the Denver radio market and then the Denver TV market. So Rush had this fun bit where he would say that he was documented to be 98.6% accurate, 98.6% reliable. And in fact, my producer just pulled this up on Wikipedia. It's not on the main Wikipedia page, but it's on one of the Limbaugh talk pages. That's where the editors, the Wikipedians, they decide what should or should not appear on the Wikipedia encyclopedia pages. So here, let's see, an editor asks, let me read this. Limbaugh claims he's documented to be almost always right and then follows up with this high percent like 98.2 or 99.4. His wife today aired a clip from Rush, and I think that was 99.4. Is there actually somebody keeping track of this? If so, how is the information gathered? How reliable is it? So our ad... We quote Rush Limbaugh that he's documented to be 98.6% reliable. And then I say, have you ever considered who it is that does that documenting? It's us at Bob and Your Live. Tune in Monday through Friday. And I give the station and the time. It's on a competing radio station. And people for years afterward, they would say, I can't believe my ears. I'm hearing an ad for a radio program on a different station, and it was just uncanny. And Rush was such a phenomenon that it was marketing gold for us. It was truly fabulous. And from the beginning of the show, we never said it was a Christian radio show. We said it was a news call and talk show hosted by a Christian. And so with a Bible-based Christian worldview, we took on the issues of the day beginning in May 1991. So way back then, Rush, the phenomenon that was Rush Limbaugh, helped boost this show tremendously. And in fact, the show was on the air because of Rush Limbaugh. So I want to get to that in a bit. But also, I'd like to talk about Rush meeting his death over the past year with tremendous courage and dignity. And I don't know, but I hope that he also met it with humility before Jesus Christ. He did talk 
a lot in the last year, a lot meaning as compared to the previous 30 years, about God, about how important God was to him. His brother, David Limbaugh, is an out-of-the-closet, born-again Christian, and he would know best. But then, especially at the time of death, we Christians tend to exaggerate out of hope or even desperation the faithfulness of our dearly departed. So really, for most public figures, we find out when we go to be with the Lord, whether they're there or not, he supported George W. Bush, who's, like we said on the air at the time, even before it became obvious, the Bushes are close friends with the Clintons. They love Obama. They hate it. I mean, hate it with a passion. The Trump supporters hate it with a vile hatred. But Rush, he was, you know, rah-rah Republican, starting really with George H.W. Bush and then Bob Dole. We're talking about evil people. And John McCain. Remember him? How bad? And Mitt Romney. I mean, yeah, criticizing. Yeah, but ultimately carrying their water. So when you think about how evil some of these Republican candidates were, and they were basically turning the Republican Party into the Democratic Party. And when you think about the actual spiritual condition of a public persona, like George W. Bush. I mean, today, a lot of conservatives, a lot of conservative Christians might forget the adulation that was heaped on George W. Bush. He was the Christian, conservative, pro-life savior of the universe. That's what he was. And I had the honor of interviewing a professor of political science from Grove City College. They're one of the two larger colleges that don't take government funds. Hillsdale is the other. Paul Kengor, he wrote a book, God and Ronald Reagan. Then he wrote a sequel, God and George W. Bush. And he and I talked about the conversion account of George W. Bush, and it's rather shocking. If you want to hear that, you could go to kgov.com and search for God and George W. Bush. It'll pop right up. And W became a Christian to help his father get the Republican nomination for president. And in brief, here's what happened. And this is why I say it's hard to know with public persons like Rush Limbaugh. We hope, dearly hope, that when we go to be with the Lord, he'll be there. Wouldn't it be fun to tune into Rush in heaven? Rush Limbaugh's three hours weekdays? On K-God, K-G-O-D. Boy, it'd be so fabulous. And in fact, they could even pipe it right down into hell and it would perform two functions. It would give us joy and it would give them appropriate punishment. But with George W. Bush, his father wants the Republican nomination for president to run as the party's candidate. And he meets with evangelical leaders and they pop the question to him. If you were to die today, where would you go? And he gave the classic wrong answer. He said, well, I like to think that I'm a good person. And therefore, and everybody's like, oh, oh boy, George H.W. Bush is going to hell. 
So the campaign asked his son, who, who had been an alcoholic, asked George W. Bush, will you be our liaison to the evangelical Christian community? And so there are recordings, audio recordings, you could read transcripts online, of George W. Bush talking to their family's evangelical liaison, the guy training George W. Bush what to do and what to say, and he, he goes to Kenny Bunkport, Maine. They fly in Billy Graham, and he and Billy Graham are walking along the beach, and Billy Graham explains to him the gospel so he believes so his father could get the Republican nomination. And sure enough, his friend is saying to him, well, here's what you got to do. And you could find the secretly taped conversations, and it, they were taped by a friend of the Bush family. He thought he was doing them a favor he was doing history a favor. And George W. Bush tells this guy, his name is Doug Weed, former Assemblies of God minister and an aide to George H.W. Bush. He tells Doug Weed, as you've said, there are some code words, there are some proper ways to say things in some improper ways. And, and he added, he said, I'm going to say that I've accepted Christ into my life. How's that? I mean, if ever there were a political conversion, that was it. And George W. Bush's life seems to attest to the fact, I mean, as president for eight years, he said more wonderful things about Muhammad and the Koran than he ever said about Jesus. I don't think he ever mentioned Jesus and the Bible. And he was supposedly the pro-life hero of the universe. And what has he done in the last 20 years? What has he done to stop the killing of unborn children? Right after he left the White House, he spoke at a low-hanging fruit fundraiser, which was really a Republican, rah-rah Republican, get-out-the-vote event. And what, that's it? So he was actually against abortion? That's a lie. He and his whole family were radical pro-aborts, and we document that. Just go to that page, God and George W. Bush, on our website, kgov.com. And you could see all that. So when it comes to Rush Limbaugh standing with Jesus Christ, I hope he met his death with humility. Because when there's life, there's hope. But as God says through the scriptures, his word, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And so we'll we'll find out. But if you want to do your best to determine, for whatever reason, right, to grow in our own wisdom for the sake of history, for the sake of the church, having people who are not gullible and don't proceed on emotion and political loyalties, but on truth, if you want to do your best to determine if Rush Limbaugh was a believer where you begin is you take his message, what was important to him, and you remove all of the political material. Get rid of all that. That's all gone. Because you don't need to love Jesus Christ to be a libertarian, to be a conservative Republican, to be a limited government, low taxes kind of guy. You don't need to confess your sin to Jesus Christ, ask him to forgive you and trust in him as death and resurrection so that you can have everlasting life. You don't have to 
believe in Jesus to hate the Democrats. You just don't have to do that. There are plenty of people who are not saved who hate liberals, plenty of them. And of course, your primary responsibility is to make sure that you're not one of those, that you love Jesus more than you hate Kamala Harris, real important, more than you hate Hillary Clinton. Your hatred of the left could disguise your apathy toward God. And so please don't ever let that happen to you and do your best to understand to what extent it may or may not be happening to other people. So, I mean, on record, if anyone in the country was actually credited with documenting Rush Limbaugh to be 98.6% accurate, it'd be us right here at Bob and Eric Live. So we don't want to just assume, but we sure do hope. And for the sake of Catherine Adams and all the many others who were close to Rush, of course, you know, we care deeply about him. He's brought thousands of hours of enjoyment to people who knew that the left were evil. Thousands of hours of enjoyment and quite a bit of education. But it's it's one thing to be able to point out, here's what our enemies are doing that's evil. It's another thing altogether to point out, here's what our own side is doing that is evil, and we need to condemn it and never justify it and not sweep it under the rug, not even during a presidential election. It could be, for example, that ultimately to end the killing of unborn children, it could be that the path to victory would have to go through 10 lost presidential elections. It could be. But we haven't had a single Republican Party nominee for president who has neither given any indication that he wants to protect every child by love and by law, or that he was willing to risk losing the election because of his stand for the unborn child. So it's like you're trying to win a war, and you don't have a single soldier who's willing to fight in a battle where they might get killed. You don't have a single sergeant, not one corporal, not one lieutenant, not a single general who's willing to engage the enemy in any battle where the outcome isn't relatively certain. And so chances are good that you'd lose that war. Because when you're in a life or death battle, you need to be willing to risk your life. And our political candidates, they've never learned that lesson. They've never been taught that lesson. In fact, by our conservative leaders, they've been taught the exact opposite, that you need to be electable. The first thing you need to do is be electable. And then from there, you figure out how to get the independents to support you, because otherwise you'll never win. But ending child killing in America might end up being the victory of the politicians who cared more about the truth and justice than they did about winning. Because when winning, when beating the Democrats becomes your chief political aim, you've just compromised on everything else, everything other than being a Republican. So when Rush Limbaugh began broadcasting in 1988, late 1988, I'm driving with our youngest sons, 
through Nevada, northern Nevada. I remember a sign. To this day, I remember the sign. It said, Elko, the hub of northern Nevada. I'm like, the hub of northern Nevada? Look up Elko on my cell phone. Oh, no, back then we didn't have cell phones. You couldn't just Google it. And I see population like 9,840. I'm thinking, Elko, how could this be the hub of northern Nevada? Northern Nevada obviously doesn't doesn't have much to hub around. But on the radio, you get spotted coverage in the middle of the desert, the Sonoran Desert. And this guy comes on, and I cannot for the life of me figure out what his name is. It might be Rush something or other. And I was stunned. I was hearing things that I never thought I would ever hear on the radio. And the main thing was what he was saying about abortion. It was stunning. It was encouraging. It was historic. And Rush had, in the early years, when it was the early couple years, when it was conservative Christians who put him on the map nationally, abortion was one of his main themes. He hit it all the time. And he had his caller abortions, where the left, they would say, well, we don't know when life begins, so it's not really wrong to have an abortion. And Rush decided, being the brilliant showman that he was and the greatest radio broadcaster in history, what, at his peak, 20 million weekly listeners? So Rush Limbaugh decides to do caller abortions. And he would have people that called up to be on his show, and they might be on hold for who knows how long, you know, one trimester, two trimesters. And then he'd just about to bring them on the show, and he would abort them with a sound effect of a vacuum cleaner and a woman screaming. And those were the caller abortions. And it was so powerful. And it helped. It even helped the rescue movement to get people in the general public aware of what abortion is. It's the slaughter of children. And he would then argue with liberals on a show, well, why are you objecting? It's just, when does a call become a call? Does it become a call when they dial? Does it become a call just because they're on hold? Or is it a call when I actually have a conversation with them? So when does a call become a call? And then we did our when does an eagle become an eagle? Remember we got eagle eggs from a farmer and on live TV we um, couldn't find the mother. So we broke them in a hot plate and scrambled them and I ate the eagle eggs on the air. And the left was enraged and they called in while I'm eating and and I asked, well, when does an eagle become an eagle? Don't you know it's against the law to kill an eagle? Well, this is, a, when does an eagle become an eagle? From Russia's, when does a caller become a caller? And it was brilliant, but he became wildly famous. And abortion became not a second tier issue to him, not a third tier, but maybe a fourth tier issue. And so the pro-lifers who did everything and anything we could to turn him into a phenomenon, they felt that Rush abandoned the unborn child through his fame, but he always would come back to being against, really, and it would be when he had something good against the Democrats or during the primary season to get rid of one Republican candidate versus another, or especially against the Democrats. Then he would bring up how evil they were 
for supporting late-term abortion. But whenever you'd hear like Bill O'Reilly say that or Tucker Carlson, they love to focus on late-term abortion because then they could be pro-choice and their audience thinks that they want to end abortion. And so actually supporting the personhood movement, which for years while Rush was on the air, there were statewide ballot efforts to stop all abortion in Alabama and Colorado and South Dakota, East Coast, and issues in a dozen states trying to get on the ballot, but never a word of support, tragically. But so on these issues, we wanted to discuss uh, the left's jubilation, their ebullience, their unrestrained glee at his death. My producer went through the Associated Press article about Rush passing away, the comments, and he compared them to the comments of recently their article when Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. And what a dramatic difference. With Ginsburg, the tone of the Republicans or conservatives, Christians who posted, the tone was respectful. You know, we disagreed. She advocated things that were wrong, but it's sad that she died. Contrast that with the glee, the unrestrained celebration of the left, and you'll see what's at the heart of the left in America, that they are bloodthirsty. After all, their major issue is the slaughter of innocent children in the womb. So clearly they're bloodthirsty. The most a conservative would say, the most critical a conservative would say with RBG was, I thought there was the COVID. Why are so many people going to her funeral when we're told large events have to be canceled or you'll kill people? What's going on? That was, that was about it. And I don't want to run out of time on the broadcast part of today's show. We're going to go to our bonus segment during the month of February, our telethon. We're doing this. Uh, so you can go to the website, kgov.com, kgov, to hear the last bonus segment of the show. And for our telethon, we're at $14,900, guys, 14900 toward our $50,000 goal. And it's already February 17th. So we have just a couple weeks left, hardly. We really, really need your help, if at all possible. Please call us, 1-800-8-N-YARDS, 1-800-836-9278. Some people mail checks even for this telethon, and that's you can get the address at our website, kgov.com. Click on Contact Us, or just go to the website and click on the store. There's a telethon banner across the top. You could give once or a, sign up for a monthly, automatic monthly donation. That's such a tremendous way to help us continue to reach more people or get a Bible study subscription, our topical videos, our sermons, or browse our store, the science department. There's so many great resources. So I wanted to mention Rush Limbaugh gets a call from Dan in Fort Collins years ago and the liberals wanted to pay off the national debt, right, a trillion dollars, by having a bake sale. And so Rush would make fun of that. And Dan from Fort Collins calls in, and Dan tells Rush how badly he wants to subscribe to Rush's newsletter, the Limbaugh newsletter, but it's expensive. His wife won't let him. 
So Rush makes fun of Dan because of his wife won't let him get a newsletter. But then he says, well, wait a minute. Why don't you have a bake sale? Why don't you have a bake sale and raise the money? And it turns out throngs of people from all over the country, thousands of people flooded Fort Collins. There was a traffic jam on I-25 North out of Denver because people flew in for 30 miles. It was a phenomenon. And one of the first things Rush Limbaugh said in the buildup of that event happened right off the bat. One of the very first things when he mentioned when I had the opportunity, I immediately called up to the Fort Collins affiliate, said, we're on Denver radio. Could I get Dan's phone number? So I called immediately. I talked to his wife. She didn't even know what's going on. I want to tell you that story and the story of uh, being at Russia's studio, kgov.com. Continuing now with our telethon bonus segment for folks listening by podcast or streaming at kgov.com. A bit more background on Dan's bake sale and why I ended up outside of Russia's studio door back in 1991, hoping to share with him the evidence showing that Bill Clinton is a rapist. But we just got a call from Hudson, Colorado, a listener, James, who said he'd like to make a $500 matching offer. And hey, that's a way to double a gift, a matching offer. It is effective. But then as he was talking to Connie, our office manager, he said, you know what? If, if somebody can give $750, I'll do that. I'll raise it to $750. And so this guy, James, has supported Bob and Yurt Live in the past. So he's a known personality, like you might say an accredited investor. So if anyone could match that, that would be awesome. That would add 1500 and we'd be way on our way to $20,000. Well, during the radio broadcast version of today's program just minutes ago about Rush Limbaugh, one of our senior producers, Daryl Berkey, he now lives in Wisconsin, but he still works full-time for Bob and Yurt Live. He thought we should add to our comments about the left not being able to restrain their glee, their celebration of Russia's death. Daryl said we could add to what we've said, of course, as expected, that Twitter right now is covered in its own filth. It's littered by its own hatred as liberals. They are unrestrained, right? And they can't restrain themselves in their evil. And ironically, it's as though they can't even read their own tweets, they're saying there that with Rush dying, there's less hate in the world. Isn't that unbelievable? They can't. It's as though they're shadow banned from reading their own tweets. Lest hate, they worship the font of hate. There's somebody on Twitter. I never heard of the person. She has 370,000 followers there. She writes, not the obituary I wanted to read today, but we're getting warmer. So that's saying she wished that Donald Trump died, but at least it was Rush. On Twitter, the hashtags that are trending, rotten hell. There's another one, rest in, but I won't say it. It's vulgar. A missionary to China 100 years ago, C.T. Studd, said, my prayer is that when I die, 
all hell rejoices that I am out of the fight. A lot of people attribute that to C.S. Lewis, but I think it is C.T. Studd. But that sentiment, when I die, I hope that all hell rejoices that I am out of the fight. That's sure true about the hell on earth left regarding Rush Limbaugh. His passing, they are rejoicing. And Dominic here in the studio earlier said, I haven't grown up listening to Rush, but I sure hope when I pass away that the people who hate God would celebrate my death. That is something. Wow. In C.S. Lewis, he died in the early 60s, but he is still in the fight big time. Somebody else tweeted, a popular idiot on Twitter, tweeted, Rush Limbaugh was a white supremacist. Of course, right? Of course he had to be. We've been saying on this show for 30 years that a racist is someone winning an argument with a liberal. Now it's just overtly obvious that that's the case. But Rush was married by, remember who performed his wedding? Clarence Thomas. So here's a black guy who Rush is honored to have officiate at his wedding, but I guess the left, they hate him too. They hate many blacks, including Clarence Thomas. So I guess Thomas has white privilege or something, so that doesn't count. But on to Dan's bake sale. So here's what happened, and Rush played it as though it were totally spontaneous, and I think there was some setup to it. But either way, it was brilliant. And so... The left at the time in U.S. history, 1993, and at the time, the nation is swimming in debt. You know, it was the beginning of the Clinton years. But Republicans, they always focus on the debt when the Democrats have the White House, right? We've said for decades on this show that the Republicans always increase domestic spending at a far greater rate than do the Democrats. And in fact, a few years back, it was the, uh, remember the American Enterprise Institute that documented this, and we took it as a major validation of BEL. They validated that between 1960 and 2010, so for 50 years, the growth of entitlement spending was exponential, but in any given year, it was on the whole about 8% higher if the president happened to be a Republican rather than a Democrat. 8% higher. We're talking added up, trillions of dollars of debt. And so why is that? Because the Republicans pretend that they're more fiscally responsible. So when the Democrats are in office, Rush Limbaugh and others, they would harp on Democratic spending but when the Republican got in the White House, yeah, they'd say it a little bit, but he'd get every spending increase that he could ever dream of. And so it's the Republicans who spent this country, who have spent this country into catastrophic debt. But anyway, since the focus was on the debt, there were liberals who were saying, you know, ridiculously, let's hold bake sales to pay off the national debt. And Rush made fun of these liberals, PTA moms, or whoever. And so then this Dan from Fort Collins calls in, 
and he wants to subscribe to Rush's newsletter, but he can't afford it, whatever it was, like $20 a year, whatever. And so Rush is really smacking him up one side and down the other, but then he gets this idea, dawns on him, a brilliant idea, have a bake sale. So Rush has a three-hour show. So in the course of three hours, the idea keeps growing. It metastasizes into this enormous beast where people from around the country are calling in and saying how they want to go to the bake sale. And one of Rush's favorite restaurants in New Orleans, I think it was Antoine's, the chef from Antoine's calls in and says, well, I'll I'll go to bake the pastries. <laughs> so, so while this is happening, I'm listening. My show's about to go on the air. And I call the station, the Rush Limbaugh affiliate up in Fort Collins, and I say, I'm a talk show host in Denver. We want to help out. Could I get Dan's phone number? And so they felt some kind of camaraderie because I was another talk show host. So they gave me his number, which was a home phone number. And we go on the air, and live on the air, I call the number, and I get Dan's wife. And I said, hi, this is a Denver radio show, and we're on the air right now. And I, I want to let you know, if you could encourage your husband, we're going to come up there for his bake sale. And she says, for what? Who Who is this? I said, this is Bob Enyart. We have a talk show on the radio in Denver, and we'd like to come up in a few weeks for, for Dan's bake sale. She's like, Dan who? Well, don't you have a husband named Dan? Yeah, I have a husband named Dan. Well, he's having a bake sale. Why would my husband have a bake sale? And so so I didn't exactly. I just played the game with her so he could tell her all the details. But she said, why would you come up here for a bake sale? I don't get it. And I said, well, why don't you talk to your husband? He'll fill you in on the details. But please remember to tell him that we're coming. In fact, I'm hearing from our audience, we're going to bring a caravan, a whole caravan of us are going to drive up I-25 uh, for the bake sale. She's like, okay, whatever. So we hang up. Then Rush Limbaugh goes on the air the next day. And he gives all the updates of how this thing is exploding into a historical event. And he says, in Denver... There's a competing radio station with a talk show host. He's not on our affiliate. He's not on KNUS. He's on another station. And he called Dan's wife and told her they're coming up with a caravan of people. So get this, from another radio station, they're coming up to support this program that airs on a competing station. So that was our 15 seconds of fame, right, with Rush Limbaugh. But we did go up there. We brought a lot of people. We had a magazine. We called it a magazine, a monthly magazine, The Rational Inspire at the time. Bob and Yurt Live monthly magazine. So much fun. So we had issues there for sale. Now they're collector's items. We have a few somewhere in storage. But Rush really paved the way, of course, not only for Bob and Yurt Live, but for an entire industry of talk radio, conservative talk radio and for years listeners would call us and say bob rush limbaugh listens to your show and we'd say no rush doesn't listen to the show but you know rush has a lot of listeners who listen to the show and it was uncanny the things that would happen 
one example comes to mind. It was a season of consumer scares, and video caught a woman at a Walmart or wherever putting a syringe into a Diet Coke. Really weird. So on our show that day, we happened to be on TV also, I told the story, but I intentionally got it wrong, and I said that somebody put Diet Coke into a syringe. And so Rush, the next day, does the exact same bit, exact same. And so that's one example of it had to be scores of times when people would call us and say, Bob, Rush, listen to your show again. Here's what happened. It was really a fun time. But then it was later that decade, 1999, when I happened to be in the news because we purchased O.J. Simpson's memorabilia. And I was on MSNBC that day for a combined a couple hours on show after show, including on most of the show, Chris Matthews, Hardball with Chris Matthews. Now, he's what, just resigned in some scandal? He was me too right? But during the commercial break, when they're interviewing me about burning O.J. Simpson's memorabilia, his prize, the best of the best, hanging in his home in Brentwood, and we bought it at auction. We spent $13,000, something like that. Burned it all on the steps of the L.A. courthouse. The next day at high noon, TV cameras from around the world were there. It was a huge press conference. And so afterward, I end up flying directly to Alabama, from L.A. to Alabama for a seminar I was presenting. And at the airport, I pick up the Wall Street Journal. And I'm reading this article on the flight that Bill Clinton raped Juanita Broderick. And it actually said in the article that Bill Clinton, when you look at the evidence and you speak to the contemporaneous witnesses, you realize that Bill Clinton, in fact, raped Juanita Broderick. It didn't say alleged. It actually said, in fact, when you look at the evidence, in fact, he raped Juanita Broderick. And I read that article, and it was devastating. And I knew with cancel culture back then, the women who accused Bill Clinton, you see, executive privilege to the left means that men could rape women. Just like with Joe Biden and Tara Reid, who said that when he was a senator and the office building was virtually empty, that he sexually assaulted her. And she described it as though it was basically rape. And Kamala Harris even indicated that she believed her. And then she's honored to work for a rapist, right? But then afterward, they said, well, she doesn't have any evidence, contemporaneous evidence from the time that she even made this accusation. And what surfaces but video from CNN, Larry King Live, Tara Reid's own mother calls into his show and talks about her daughter working for the U.S. Senate and a powerful senator destroyed her daughter. So there's contemporaneous evidence that she was devastated at the time or told people that she was devastated by what Joe Biden had done to her. So at any rate, that is executive privilege, white privilege for those who are leftists. They could even sexually assault women and get away with it and be approved for at least as long as they're useful. 
So I read this article, and there's a lot of evidence in the Wall Street Journal piece. So I end up getting a worldwide exclusive interview with Juanita Broderick on the show, kgov.com slash Juanita, and a separate interview, again, an exclusive interview with the nurse who worked for Juanita at her nursing home, who traveled from their corner of Arkansas to Little Rock for a nursing convention. And while there, Bill Clinton gets himself invited to Juanita Broderick's hotel room, changes their meeting place from the coffee shop in the lobby to her hotel room, and rapes her, bites her lips so it's swollen three times the size. And the nurse, Norma Rogers, comes in. Juanita is sobbing and tells her she was just raped by Bill Clinton. Just a devast- And just an hour before, she was the biggest fan of Bill Clinton and a volunteer campaign worker. So we began to arrange protest eventually in 144 cities around the country. In 105, we went to Auckland, New Zealand to follow Bill Clinton there. And as we did so, we put together the case of the evidence against Bill Clinton that he's a rapist. And in the process of that, our protest in Manhattan at the federal courthouse, I went to that. Other people were in Martha's Vineyard, San Diego, all over, 144 cities. We spent, Bob and your lives spent, I got to remember the exact amount. I think it was $110,000 on our BEL credit card to fund these protests to help get all the materials, the banners, the posters, the flyers to the leaders in all these cities. FedEx everything. FedEx boxes that weigh 20 pounds to over 100 cities. And so we wanted to make sure that what Bill Clinton did to Juanita Broderick would not be canceled, would not be forgotten by the fake news. And I end up in Manhattan at our Clinton rapist protest at the federal courthouse And then I know that Rush Limbaugh is broadcasting from Madison Square Garden, not from the arena, but on the same property, there's a high-rise office complex. And so I can't get into his office. I want to somehow go and see if I could get more information to him on this. And I go through Madison Square Garden. I'm the only one in the whole arena And I find an elevator, a series of elevators in the back, and I push the button. They open up, and I go all the way up to, like, the 23rd floor, whatever it was. And that's Rush Limbaugh's floor. So somehow I got in there, and I'm talking to his assistant and say, I'm the guy who's been in the news talking about Juanita Broderick getting raped. Here's here's the evidence, and is there any way I could share this with Rush? And she's, you know, very positive, very supportive. And it's back and forth for a bit, and I'm there for maybe 15 minutes. Finally, she says, I I don't think it's going to happen, but um, Rush wishes you the best. And that was it. But um, I think we've succeeded in making sure that it would not be canceled, that Juanita would not be canceled, and that this would be more than a footnote in the history of American politics, that this is now a chapter of the democratic leadership in their sexual assault of women. So, hey, our telethon, 1-800-8-N-Y-A-R-T, 1-800-836-9278.
our website, kgov.com, and boy, we'll miss Rush.